1: Hello and welcome to this week's Ruck. Just before I introduce the panel, here's the scoreline for you 48 46. That was the score in the Wasps Harlequins game. Unbelievable game. Exeter scored 41 against Worcester. Newcastle 52. London Irish 27. Bath 20. Bristol 40. What's happened? Is this great attacking rugby or is it candy floss? I'll be very interested to see what Lawrence Delalio has to say about 48-46. Today's panel, even better than last week's. Lawrence Delalio, uh, Lawrence sounded a little Horse this morning. Presume that's because you saw so many games with so much to say about them. Well, it was a
2: fantastic weekend of rugby, if I'm honest. I was uh, lucky enough to be down at uh, the Rec for, for Bath-Bristol. And uh, and then, as you say, at the Stoop yesterday, Quinns, Wasps and... Uh, just yeah, so many, uh, so many talking points, so many, so many different tries. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because everyone's talking about ring fencing and relegation, and sides. Obviously, some have a lot to play. You know, Bristol at the top of the table, Quinn's going for the playoffs, and, and Wasps and Bath very much down the bottom end. But certainly didn't
1: seem that way. Also, we've got Owen Slot. Slotty, we'll come to that in a minute, but a fascinating article this morning with Joe Marler, who would have chosen in his Lions team a psychiatrist. We'll come to that shortly. But uh, we haven't got a fanfare, I'm afraid, but he deserves one. Our third panellist today is none other than the Diane of rugby on TV, in fact, of sport on TV, John Inverdale. John, it's great to have you on the show, Uh, the long list of your broadcasting achievements Uh, We could take up the whole show, really. But the biggest moment of your career of all, that towering moment, what are your memories of the score you made for the rugby writers in Sparta Prague, which won the game?
3: I think from memory, it was just under the opposition posts. I took a high ball. I stepped the oncoming flanker, went round the winger. And just went down the touchline, fully another eighty-five yards. to score in the corner. That, that's my recollection of
1: it. Anyway, funny, mine differs about that. But my dip, I think it was five yards, <laughs> not eighty-five. But, but <laughs> welcome, mate. And are you still uh, coming to terms with the fact that you've now done your last uh, Six Nations game for the BBC? Well, I suppose it's an easy thing
3: to come to terms with when there isn't a Six Nations game happening. I think it, you know, the emotional thing will happen. I suppose inner inner emotion will happen in the autumn when those, those internationals happen and I'm not doing them and I'm not at the Principality Stadium or at Murrayfield or wherever it might be. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy with it. I mean, I'm you know, I'm just immersed in a, a zillion committee meetings at Twickenham. So, you know, how, how could you possibly miss rugby when you're doing that?
1: Well, that's the other thing that John <laughs> is now on the RFU committee. Now, there are not many of us who will be uh, queuing up for that when we eventually retire or get kicked out. But, again... Uh, john's uh john's reasoning is sound as we will we will hear just just go back uh, to you lawrence wasps won that game or they had it won the defense weren't very good but wearing your wasp hat or, or had you been the wasp coach you you were you were more than two scores up at one stage the match was there to be shut down did wasps really get too full of it when they should have come home with a little bit to spare um, I
2: think it's easy to say, isn't it? Sometimes, I mean, Mike Brown was sent off rather unfortunate. We'll talk about that in a second, but I mean, for him, hopefully that's not the end of his his Quinn's career. Um, you know, he, he stepped on Tommy Taylor's head. Whether you know whether it was accidental or not, it's, it's a tricky one for him because you can't plead guilty, <laughs> but if you don't plead guilty, you don't you don't get the reduced tariff. So uh, I, I look forward to how the the disciplinary are going to work that one out. But no, listen, if, if you're wasps, you're, you're desperately disappointed. They they should have won the game, as you said quite rightly. They they had one of the two outstanding players on the field. There was a lot of players who put in wonderful performances, but Dan Robson, truly outstanding. Um, at some Eddie Jones was there, and at some point he might get he, he may get more than just a sort of five minute cameo for England, um, yeah. and, and he might actually get picked in the position he plays. But uh, the other outstanding performance was obviously Marcus Smith. And sometimes you just got to admire the, your, your opponent. And Quinn's, um were so resilient. You know, they 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 stayed in the fight, they stayed in the game, and, and they they got a couple of decisions at the end, which 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 went their way. So they deserve to win uh, ultimately.
3: I mean, I am I'm chairman, president, and fixture set of the Mike Brown Fan Club. I really am. But that in any day and age, and especially in this day and age, went, went beyond the unacceptable. you know. And I think he has to receive a lengthy ban. And it's going to be a real shame that that is his last game for Harlequins. And that's the last memory that he will have of playing at the Stoop. But there are bigger issues here, there, or rather bigger issues at stake here than there are about just one individual's career. And I, I, just, I just think I watched it over because I know, because I knew we were chatting this morning, I just watched it over and over and over again. And this is not me saying, because days gone by, you know, 15 years or so ago, I almost lost an eye when somebody stamped on my face. And I can tell you, it's pretty damn frightening. And I watched it over and over again. And, you know, Lawrence, obviously, you know, you, you've played the game in those situations a million times, but I just sense, you you know, when there's a player there, you just sense you have, because you couldn't play rugby at that level, without peri- without the peripheral vision that means you understand where other players are that was not acceptable it really
1: wasn't i, I have to say i completely agree and when when uh, one of the people one of the summarizers sorry one of the commentators was saying yesterday they felt very sorry for him because that could be his last game well whose fault is that i mean so, owen where did you where do you stand you're at the game you've got a good view
4: I think it's one of those ones where rugby has to kind of say what it means and 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 take the hard decision, which is say sorry that that's that's just not what we do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's really any argument to, to be had about it. And I was at the game. I, I saw Mike Brown trudge off and the look on his face and. He's been at Harlequin 17 years. He's never had a red card before. I mean, what a time to do it. You know, he's he, he, there's no malice in that. Sorry. I, well, well, maybe there was. That's what it looked like. That's the problem. But we don't we don't associate him with as a player who 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 has a record like that or behaves like that. So I, I, I do feel sorry for him. But at the same time, I don't think there's really anywhere for the, for the authorities to go on that.
1: No, there isn't. Uh, Lawrence, just going back to the superstars, um, it was rather an uncomfortable week last week when we found that Warren Gatland had had differed with Eddie Jones um, in in a considerable number of positions. When you see Dan Robson and Marcus Smith play like that yesterday, do you feel that sort of that brought it a little even more into focus that Eddie appears to be out of step with almost everybody else when it comes to picking these players?
2: I think what it, what it reminded me and hopefully everyone is that we've got so many talented players coming through in this country and, and, and particularly at halfback. And, you know, you add Joe Simmons into, into that bracket and there's one or two others as well. You know they they're both superb, and when you look at the performance of Robson and Smith, particularly, you just wonder why we haven't seen more of them. But you, I guess you've you've got George Ford and Owen Farrell, and those players, Smith and Jacob Umanga, you know, will be the will be the next Ford and Farrell. It's just a question of when they bring them in, and mm. you just you would like to think that whatever tours to test matches go ahead this summer that um, there's no point playing Ben Youngs. There's no point playing George Ford if it's going to be against you know, the USA. You know, you should be giving the likes of Umanga, Smith, Robson, that younger generation, the opportunity. Because if if not then, when?
3: You know, sometimes when you're watching a game, you go, oh, that was just so good. And you, you'll, you'll look at Marcus Smith and you'll think about the tries and little kicks and things. About three minutes from the end, when Quinns were chasing the victory, and... They they, they, th- they went right, and they could. There was a rush defence from the Wasps' back line. And if Marcus Smith... Whoops, that's unprofessional. My phone <laughs> going, my college is well,
1: that, You <laughs> think do. we're yeah. going to cut that out, don't you, John?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're not. You're going to leave it there. Anyway, but, um, but the, uh, the Wasps' defence rush up, and if Marcus Smith, in the heat of the moment, hadn't had absolute clarity of thought, he would have thrown the pass. It was an intercept down the other end, game over in Wasp's favour but he held on to the ball he took the contact recycled and they scored and it, I just thought it was just one of those moments where the, the, the great players or the, and the potentially great players they're always seeing the bigger picture even in moments of potential crisis I thought I thought that was a, just a, a defining moment for him.
1: Oh and um, I get sort of jumpy and I have done since Super 12 Super Rugby started when uh, the, the matches ended 86-83 and things like that No. I'm not denying for a moment the quality of the game and, and the skills on show, but does there come a time in the weekend like this where it's almost we score, you score, uh, when people get 50 points, Newcastle 52, London Irish 27? Is there a certain chipping in of the, of, of the currency of a try?
4: No, well, I don't think so. I was, I was a bit worried, Jonesy, that you were going to come in with your uh, I hate basketball sort of agenda. And, and I'm <laughs> so delighted that you, you've been so broad-minded about it this morning.
1: Well, I hate basketball.
4: <laughs> I, I think you've got to bear in mind a few things it's mid-May there's hard grounds and it w- w- was a half decent weekend of weather for the first time in a, in a very long time so that contributes and a game like um that was uh, Quinn 's game yesterday, there is a certain contagion when the game starts play- being played like that, and players are seeking space and and, and as soon as they 've had a sniff, they know it 's out there. Uh, yeah. but Marcus Smith and Dan Robson, the two leading players in that cast they, they, they both got a taste of it so early and and, and they persevere with it, and that 's what made it such a such a great game to watch
3: so on the two other things in here, one is the referee it 's so fundamental, you realize that. And, and Wayne Barnes had a good game yesterday, which enabled the game to be what it was. And, when, and referees, you know, this it's still one of the biggest issues that our sport has at any level, from a World Cup final to, you know, old whoever it may be 5th 15. The referee, in many ways, it can be the most influential person on the field. The other thing about the game at Queen's, oh, the Wasps game yesterday, Queen's game, very few scrums. And I only mention that because on, having watched that game on telly yesterday, but on Saturday, I went to watch my club, Isha, play at Chinna, in a, a full-on match, but with the adapted laws, which, because of COVID, which means no scrums, I tell you what, it's a heck of a better spectacle than it's sometimes interminable stoppages and, and resets and things like that. And I just mentioned that because the, that game on Saturday that I went to watch flew by, and everybody was there God, God that was great, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And then you had to think, why was it so enjoyable? And because there were so few stoppages... And we went in the bar, outside bar, ab- observing all the rules afterwards, to watch the kickoff of the Bristol Bath game. And a minute and a half into that game, first scrum, it took three minutes for play to resume after the knock-on had happened and the game resumed. And I just think there are there are lots of elements in that, which, you know, in the winter time, because it's a winter sport, you tend to get more scrums because there are more mistakes, da da. Therefore you get more stoppages. you have less. I mean, I'd like to know what the ball in playtime was for the yeah. game at, uh, you know, you know, so all these things are linked about trying to make it a better spectacle. And you could argue that what yesterday did, which, going back to what Slotty said, is, you know, should we really not be thinking about rugby union being a summer sport, really, from the elite end to the minis and juniors who'd juniors, far rather play on a Sunday morning when the sun's out than a wretched day in November when it's raining? We'll
1: just come back to John uh, uh, and his denunciation of all we hold dear in in rugby. In, in a second, let's just... just, just... <laughs> <laughs> um let's just finish off the, the weekend because uh, on, whether or not it was a great game, and I think it was. Bath, Bristol, uh, Lawrence, amazing start, which Bristol were absolutely dominant and, and then were 15 points down. But another, a great match, great comeback by them and, and real quality just as, just as the Stoop had as well.
2: Yeah, listen, I think Bristol are a, 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 a sight to behold, aren't they? Especially when they, they could bring back the likes of... Uh, Rangers, Pietel, Sheedy, I mean they've got real depth and quality to their squad. I mean I don't think the game was ever in doubt. They started at 100 miles an hour. They could have been two, three, four tries up in the opening 10 minutes as it turned out quite bizarrely they were two tries down which which did us all a favor because it looked like it was going to be such a one-sided contest but actually Bath you know got themselves in front and and made Bristol uh, you know fight for it certainly for the uh, for, for, for the first 50, 60 minutes. But, they, you know, when they cut loose, as I said, they're they're going to take some beating. And and they're really the kind of team that have emerged over the last 12 months under Pat Lamb. Uh, and every time you hear him speak, there's a real clarity and, and an authority. And there's a lot to like about Bristol Bears, you know, on and off of the field at the moment. And just going back to the, the speed of the game yesterday and the speed of the game at the Rec, you know, you, you're quite right. You know, everyone really, in terms of the weather the, the no-reset scrums, incredibly well refereed. There's also a few players missing from each side. I mean, if you take Will Evans away from Harlequins and you take Jack Willis away from uh, Wasps, mm. Mm. what you've got is about uh, a, a season tally of about 60 turnovers between them, really, if, if not more. And, you know, that was a quite evident yesterday that both sides were winning a lot of ball or there was a penalty or, uh, at, the, at the breakdown, but there was very few turnovers. So... Uh, I think it's very exciting. I really enjoyed it. The first scrum penalty came on about 60 minutes, so that made a huge difference. And uh, as I said, uh, I'd agree with Slotty, sometimes it gets infectious, that kind of rugby. The referee plays their part, but so do both teams. And that's probably one of the reasons why Wasps lost yesterday, because they were seduced into playing in a way that they, yeah. didn't, need, they didn't need to play, really.
1: Lads, uh, just to, before we go on, uh, just to have a, a little final word to date on, on the premiership. Four teams are now broken away. looks like uh, Quins are impossible to catch in fourth place. So you've got Bristol on 71 points, Exodus 63, Sale and Harlequins both on 59. And those two teams uh, are yet to play each other. That looks like being the top four. Is that, is that uh, for you, Owen, uh, the strongest top four that there's been for a while? And and of all those, of all those four teams, got a genuine chance of the title.
4: If it's the, the, the strongest top four there's ever been, I I don't really know what to say. What, trying to put that in context is hard. Yeah. It, it, is it that strong a top four when you think that Harlequins were, were pretty dreadful for the first two months of the season? So they haven't had to be consistent, but actually they're better they're, but because of the way they've come and they haven't had that consistency. That proves how strong they are now. So... I, I think it's a really exciting top four because uh, I, can I see Harlequin's upsetting Bristol, for instance, in a semi-final? Yes. Can you see Sale upsetting Exeter? Less likely because I think Exeter's still the favourites, but but still, yes. So, so, I, so I think the positive part of that is too often we've, we've got to the last four and it's been kind of a procession for the two home teams and I don't think mm. that's the case this time.
1: Okay, Lawrence, uh, th- this four away, and do you feel that... It's- well, is it Exeter or Bristol? Probably Exeter at the moment, or uh, Sale or Harlequins? Do they have the armory to get through?
2: Exeter is still a very, very good side. But I, I watched the, the, the Bristol Exeter game down at Sandy Park, where, where Bristol came away, you know, comfortable winners. So I think they've got the belief that they can beat the Chiefs, you know, wherever they play them. And actually, Quinn's. Well, rather un- unfortunate to, ironically, uh, concede a Carl Stinkler try uh, in the last minute and, and lost to Ashton Gate. So again, they will have the belief that they can win. But, but really, those the Bristol and Exeter have been consistently good, not just this season but last season as well and the season before. Whereas I think what we see in the Premiership is a lot of other sides that, that flip flop a little bit and Sale and yes. Sale and, and, and Quins would be one. Last year it was Wasps that were the top. Look at where they are now bath when in the playoffs look at where they are and i think the challenge for for the chasing pack against the likes of exeter and, and bristol is to is to create this consistency and when your director of rugby goes out the door you know you seem to see an uplift and yeah so so i think there, there needs to be a consistency will quins and sale be there again next year or will it be i don't know wass or bath who knows but sure but there's certainly a lot to admire
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on, settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
3: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna, from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility, there's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.
1: We just want to know to uh, uh, the Inverdale blueprint for the future, um, Isha and uh, and China. Uh, John, you saying that you don't like scrums? Do your do your Isha front row forwards agree with you? Well, they probably don't. Although, but the thing about it is because they were
3: every you know everybody had their hands on their knees because the game just never stopped, and there's always the debates about oh it's coming it's becoming like rugby league and you know it's almost like glorified sevens and things like that. It's all about having. A bigger vision for what the game needs to be, you know, at the time when, you know, this is suddenly getting very big here, but almost existential. But at the time when CVC are coming in here, and potentially uh, private equity into New Zealand and things like that, we're starting to get new stakeholders in this game, and they will want the game to be as saleable as is humanly possible. And allied to that, just going off on of a slight tangent here, you know, one of the reasons you and I have had this conversation a hundred million times over the last 30 years or so, you know, the, the gulf between the haves and the have-nots in the international game. One of the reasons, it's always set pieces and scrums and mauls and things where the second-tier nations find themselves just getting beaten up for all sorts of reasons. Actually, if, you ch- if the laws were changed slightly shaped slightly differently so that these, these elements of the game weren't quite so fundamental. You could have the Italy's and the George's and, and the Spain's and whoever else it might be actually eating at the top table a bit more than they're able to do at the moment. I think there's a whole bigger issue here about what is the product And what is the aim to try and make the the bigger
1: issue of of sport, of rugby being the ideal vehicle for people of all shapes and sizes? Yeah,
3: that's that's, uh, you know, an ethic that's gone down, you know, from we were brought up with that and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it's it's less true now than it was 20 years ago. And it's certainly less true now than it was 40 years ago. You know, you've got an awful lot of guys. OK, you've got the Marcus Smiths of this world you know, and you've got small scrum halves, you've got Pfaff de Klerk, you know, which is fantastic. You'd still have him, but I, but I just, you know, is it wrong to actually look, to want the game to be as big as it can possibly be in terms of the number of people genuinely interested in watching it? And if that is the objective, if that is the prime objective, which I think it should be, then serious consideration has to be given to certain elements of the game that, frankly, are dull. And top of that list, by the way, is penalty kicks, which are utterly interminable. And why on earth? We can't just it just instantly do it. could do it tomorrow that you put a shot clock on the scoreboard. You've got 25 seconds. If you can make Rafael Nadal speed up his service action, you can speed Owen Farrell and Dan Bigger up at the place kick. So I'm sorry, just little things like that. Bit by bit, understanding the need of broadening the appeal of the game. It's not that difficult.
1: Lawrence, uh, some many of the characters you play with were, were front row forwards, and uh, J- John's recommending here, or, or at least he's lauding uh, something which is really anathema to, to many. Uh, do you do you agree, or do you think that actually CVC their investment is as has now come in, and surely what they were buying was rugby as possibly as as we'd like it to be, but rugby actually as it is at the moment. Would you go so far as John and start saying we don't want? real scrums and we, we want to hurry up the penalties? Well,
2: I think the, the scrum is unrecognisable now from what it was however many years ago and, and, and the, the lawmakers have always tried to sort of gently tweak different parts of the game, particularly at the scrum really on the basis of safety and I think that is paramount. Health and safety are obviously very, very important but equally I do agree with John in the sense that we do need to look at ways that we can speed the game up and um, you know, the, the scrum and reset scrum. And should there be, you know, should we stop the clock, you know, so that we can we don't lose time to reset scrums, you know, all of the above. Uh, but that re- <clears throat> relies on a number of things. It relies on the on the stakeholders of the game, whether that be governing bodies, the players, uh, referees, um, broadcasters to all sit around the table together. And um, that doesn't seem to happen really that often. It takes a governing body of club rugby quite some time to actually announce to the uh, owners of each club that they've actually got a new tv deal let alone sit around the table together so uh, i listen i'm 100 in agreement that we need to do things to speed up the game and uh and make it more attractive and and, and make it more uh, uh palatable for, for and, and to help grow the audience i'm i'm i question whether rugby has exponentially grown since the advent of professionalism I, you know you might tell me yes it has but I don't think it has. I don't think the investment has gone into making the game grow, both in terms of the marketing of the sport and, and, the, and the laws of the game.
3: I really think, and I think that's one of the most disappointing things that's happened in the game in the last 25 years, that it should have been the springboard for the game to really explode. And that hasn't happened. And there's responsibilities all over the place for that. Just very quickly though, on what you were saying about stopping the clock. That game at, at uh, the soup yesterday was over two hours long. The problem is if you keep stopping the clock, every time there's a scrum until the ball's back in play, you're starting to look at a a two-and-a-half-hour game of rugby, which broadcasters aren't going to want. You know, I I think there's an issue. The the big issue, the issue in many ways, and I'm not backtracking here, the the issue here is not the scrum, it's reset scrums. If every scrum was down once and the ball was away in whatever form it might be, then that's not too bad. But it's the second, the third, the reset. And remember that, I mean, the the Wales-France unbelievable finale in the six nations up until the unbelievable finale finale at the end we'd had about two or three minutes minutes hadn't we Mm -hmm. of time wasting with scrums going down and down and down that's not entertainment that's not sport attainment and i'm afraid once you're in the industry of taking millions some 200 million or something plus tv contracts and things like that it's the duty of the game to not have moments of unbelievable downtime when people just say, what's going on here? I'm off here now. But there is a responsibility on both sides. I
1: disagree totally with, about the Scrum. I think the Scrum is fantastic. Yeah, we don't want it all to go down, but the Scrum is the engine of the game. It's given rugby some great characters. And it creates space on the field when one scrum is on top. And the problem with the scrums, as far as I'm concerned, is that they won't let people scrummage properly. When the ball's in the back foot, instead of the secondary shove, which used to be really damaging, they now call for the ball to be out. But Owen, um, with a certain support from from Lawrence, um, we, we appear to be talking about something very, very uh, basic changing in the game. Where, where do you stand?
4: I just think it's going to change anyway. I think, I think it's almost unstoppable and... I don't think that's because of CVC or private equity. I just think people will start to understand that, that to, to keep the game moving in the right direction, that will happen. And I tell you specifically why I say that, because in New Zealand, where you might think they are the, sort of the high priests of the, of the great game as we once knew it, etc., they have made dramatic changes to their community game this season, law tweaks and... Uh, and, and all sorts of things i was speaking to uh, the chief executive uh, um mark robinson of uh, new zealand rugby a couple of weeks ago about this and he says we, we just had to do this because for years for decades we've had rugby and we thought let's just attract people to rugby because that's what that's our jo- that's our job he says we've had a complete mindset change on that it's now how should we change rugby to to persuade people that they should be playing it so they they they've had a completely refreshed look at it so i think if that catches on, you got France looking at um, uh, tackling below the waist. Uh, I, I, th- I think this is a, a slow or a, 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 it's, it's snowballing. This uh, hopefully it will take rugby to, to a better place. But yes, it's contentious. And do I think they'll do away with the scrum? No, because I think everyone knows that that's essential to to, to part of it and to a game for all.
1: I think that uh, it, it it'll take it to another place. But some of the things we're talking about here will take the game to a very dark place because it'll disappear right up its own backside. When you start chasing a concept of entertainment, where do you stop? And I tell you something, there's a 48-46 game yesterday. Brilliant. If there's another one next week, okay. By the third week of a 48-46 game, you're dying for a real hard blistering contest. Uh, having had the last word there, Blimey, Invis didn't have to go on, didn't he? No, he's not the, the presenter anymore. Now we're talking about Joe Mahler and the Time story this morning. Um, uh, Lawrence and, and and Owen, you, you were the author. Uh, Joe was calling for a psychiatrist to go on the Lions tour. Um, uh, the first thing you think is, go, what's Mahler on about now? The second thing you think of is, blimey, what a good idea. And what an essential idea for... Uh, a, a tour that's going to be slightly lonely and different and distracting experience. Oh, in um, Joe's talking sense there.
4: Yeah, he is. So, so uh Joe's got a, uh, a documentary coming out on Sky in, on Wednesday called Big Boys Don't Cry, and it's a, an examination of his own mental health issues. And he he kind of goes, uh, it's an investigation for him of how he can make himself better, how he can seek a cure, and. Uh, just to tell people what he 's been through, if you like, and so he 's talking about rugby and and we all know it 's the uh, traditionally an alpha male type game, and the change rooms' not, not, the, not the easiest place to discuss uh, your, your, your mental your mental lows and your concerns and he talks about that a lot, but I, I think he makes sense uh, I mean just step aside from the fact that he thinks a clinical psychologist should come on the tour I, ever since I started writing about sport, people have been saying. That, uh, that the game is one in the head. You know, if you've got two, if you've got two equal teams, it's the team that have the most belief in that. H- how many teams have more than one sports psychologist in their in their um in their management and training staff? You've got you have umpteen strength and conditioning experts and, al- and analysts and the like, and maybe maybe one sports psychologist per team. I think in, I think in ten years' time you'll probably have four or five, and and that clinical side that Joe's talking about it is just one
1: part of it. Lawrence, you're very close to the modern-day player. Do you see the? Uh, do you see the same needs as, as Joe Mara there?
2: Yes, I do. Although, I think that the, the players themselves have got a duty to look after each other off the field as well. You know, the head and the heart are obviously inextricably linked. And when you take the field with a, with another player, you kind of know exactly what's going on in their head and their heart. I think you know you've, you've got a duty to look after each other, and, and those little chats that you have you know, in between training sessions are really, really important to to understanding and getting players to, to open up, looking after each other, making sure that you're in a, a good shape mentally, because it is important to, to you know, to have that. And the, many of the coaches that you've talked about, um, whether it be the head coach, the backs coach, the forwards coach, defence, kicking, whatever they might be, they're also mentors to the players individually as well. And they do provide some of that kind of Counseling on the mental side of the game, Dave Allred, you know, was often seen as a kicking coach to Johnny Wilkinson alone. But actually, the work that he did on the mental side of the game was was huge for a number of players in, in, in the England squad. Um, and I can understand where Joe Marler coming from because that this Lions tour is going to be mentally a big struggle for a lot of players because if there's there's not that many good quality midweek games, I'm sorry to say, yeah. and therefore there's going to be a lot of bad carrying for a lot of those players then they're only going to be seeing the inside of albeit very nice hotels, team buses, stadiums, and they're not actually going to be able to get out uh, into the country and actually experience the true sense of what touring is all about. So I think they need to mentally prepare themselves for that um, before they go away. So yeah, I would advocate that if you can get a bit of help with that, it's going to be a tough nine weeks. I mean, can you imagine being, a you know, covering the tour, which you will be and not being able to, you're not even sure whether you're going to be able to leave your hotel room. So uh,
1: it, it, it's a
2: hard ask, so I think the more help that the players get with that, the better, for sure.
1: John, uh, in the ruck, we 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 sometimes uh, accused of only looking at the pro game. You've got a long and proud record of administrating and 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 um, supporting the well, not the not so much the community game, but sort of other other levels of uh, of the top of the game. Um, it's a very difficult question, but how badly has the game been affected by? Locked down and by RFU, RFU cuts, can it reemerge in any sort of recognizable and good fashion?
3: I think actually there's a lot of optimism about what the future holds. I think the last 15 months or so has given a lot of clubs, which are run by very well meaning and often very, very efficient and switched on individuals, but who are often doing it part very much part time to fit in with the rest of their lives. Over the last 15 months, those individuals have had more time actually to say how is this club run? How do we spend our money? How could we do this? What about if we did that? And so I actually think a lot of clubs are almost in a better position now than they were 15 months ago. The funding, I mean, it's interesting you should mention that because obviously that's a huge issue at the moment. And I'm only realising having been on the RFU council for, well, eight months, nine months, and I haven't had a single meeting face to face with anybody. So everything's done on Zoom so far. But you just realise how key funding is, whether it's you know, how much money should the RFU be giving the premiership? Because, you know, they are multi-million pound industries. You know, should they be standing on their own two feet? And then the RFU paying them X when England players are, are called upon. You know, how much money should the RFU be giving to Devon League 3 clubs to keep them in, in, in existence? So there are lots of fundamental issues about the RFU. that I, I still personally, even though I'm on the inside now, I still kind of feel a bit on the outside because I haven't been part of it for real. I'm still trying to come to terms with what I think the RFU actually should do and what its one, two and three priorities ought to be.
1: John, it's got it's, uh, an image of moving with desperate slowness. I mean, premiership rugby, as Lawrence said, um, moves with a desperate and, and uh, secretive slowness. But it, is anything happening at Twickenham on the committee I mean, I, I, I never come across people who are on the committee. I never come across what I think to be radical moves. Is, is, is Below the surface are good things happening? Well, define radical. Something that's different to what we've always done. In what respect there? Well, something that's visionary, that people haven't thought of before, and, and that works and that can be delivered.
3: I mean, on that subject, and you know, this is not visionary... But it's been unbelievable. the single most interesting thing. And, I, and I, I, I forgive Lawrence if he falls off to sleep on this. But at the same time, it's quite interesting for most people listening to this. They may have more personal engagement in this. It was agreed at the RFU council meeting two weeks ago that second and third and fourth 15s should be allowed to play in the pyramid of league rugby. Now, that may not strike you as being visionary or radical but actually in the context of 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 rugby generally it is because it while it happens in certain parts of the country it's actually there's there's huge antipathy and resentment of it in other parts of the country now to get that through the council required an unbelievable amount of cajoling explaining just saying look for the good of the game you know playing numbers are dropping going back to what Owen was saying you know we've got to do things that we think will get matches fulfilled get people playing the game just give it a go don't be so entrenched in the past you've got to look at the forward at the future and you've got to look forward and say this may be for the betterment of the game now that's just one example of something that took an unbelievable amount of getting through RFU council so that's when I come back to the issue here about is the RFU the leader of the sport and it, and it has people at its helm who are visionary and who say, this is what we're going to do for the sport. Or is the RFU the voice of its members? And I still think it doesn't quite know which of those two it is. And it's a bit like being an MP. It's a bit like being, a, you know, for a lot of council members, it's a bit like being a Remainer MP in a Brexit constituency or vice versa. If, you're, if you genuinely believe that something is the way the game should be going, but your member clubs don't believe that, how do you vote? And that's a bit that, that and the, that's the, the structure makes that an issue that reoccurs time and time and, again. And
2: I think the crux of that, John, is as well is if you feel that way, you, can you imagine the people on the outside what they're thinking about the RFU? And I've said this to Bill Sweeney on a couple of occasions. I said I'm not quite sure the RFU really understands what its role is in the game anymore, mm. and I'm not sure we as fans of, of rugby understand what the RFU stands for. Is it the guardian and custodian of professional rugby? Is it the guardian and custodian of, of, of amateur rugby? Is it both? Uh, what is its role within that? You know, it, Obviously, the national team is really important. So I'd love Bill Sweeney to invite, when, when, when we can, invite every single rugby club or a representative of every rugby club down to Twickenham, host them in the live room or even host them in the stadium and actually address them with the core values of what the RFU actually means, the vision for the game, because I think that we do need to unify the game again and, and reestablish the, you know, the principles of what, of what we're all trying to do and trying to achieve together. And, you know, we, we seem to do it in pockets in, in, in amateur rugby, in, in community rugby and professional rugby, but surely we're all in this together. And, and if they don't want to run the professional game, then, then, then don't run it. And as you say, just, just bring in the England players when they want them.
3: Talking about reuniting the game, lol, you're so right, though, because at the moment there's a huge amount of antipathy towards the professional game from clubs at the lower end because they think that they're getting, they're having all their travel funding cut, they're, having, they're getting all, you know, they they feel they've been cast adrift a bit and they see, rightly or wrongly, they see the, the rugby union becoming more embedded with, with the premiership. And yet, I'm sure most premiership clubs are almost feel that the rest of the game is almost irrelevant. In certain areas, there are those that understand the importance of national league clubs for developing players and all that sort of stuff. But there are a lot of people involved in the premiership who I've spoken to who barely know, you know, that there's a junior club four miles down the road from where they they live. And so okay. I think the whole thing about how you unite the game is a, goodness me, if, if
1: do you fancy the job. Oh, in, um, could you sum up your feelings on the RFU and and uh, Unity?
4: Well, yeah, I think um, Inver's just had it that Lawrence should be there um, uh, taking the job of unite, uniting the game. I think he should.
2: Okay. Well, taking some responsibility for what you stand for and, and being prepared to go on record and say it and talk about it. I mean, you know, you talk about players need, needing to get their views and, 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 you know, what they think privately and publicly. I just think we as fans need to... Re-establish what the game stands for, and I and I, you know, I would implore the RFU to do that uh, as and when, well, maybe they don't know yet, but when when they've got their manifesto sorted, and John and and, and all the guys have got an agreement on that, then please explain it to the rest of us because we haven't got a clue what you what the RFU stand for, and and I think that's sad, really, because I love the RFU, I love English rugby, but I want I want to be brought back in to understand what it really means and w- what direction we're going in because you know, financially, there is some serious issues. You know, I see the RFU have got to guarantee their loans for the first time ever. Um, they seem to have gone from a situation where they've been debt-free for a number of years to being, you know, riddled with with financial debt at the moment, which is a concern, because if they are, then
1: where does that leave the rest of the game?
4: Can I have a, a slightly more grown-up attempt at answering your question?
1: Uh, Slotty, could you give us a grown-up version of answering <laughs> the question?
4: <laughs> yes. I, I think what the RFU really has to un- to, to try and establish is uh, what constitutes a business that should be running on its own? What clubs, businesses, a club is a business, what club should it be funding? Uh, because it's so easy to look at any part of the game and say, oh, the RFU should be helping them, the RFU should be helping them. So, so that the championship, oh, the RFU should be propping up the championship. Well, sh- should it be propping up the championship or, or, should, or should the championship be able to stand on its own two feet? Uh, th- that's what no one can work out. And that's why mm. whichever end of the game you're at, you can yep. say, well, the RFU is giving money to them. It should be to us. Well, who, who should be able to stand on their, their own two feet? And, and and who should the RFU be, be, be funding? Well, very good that's point. That's an incredibly hard question.
1: I can't believe I'm saying this, but what, John, we're going to gonna come back to RFU Committee Affairs in a, in a later programme. Um, and well done for speaking. And well done for, uh, after all your successful career, putting yet more back in, into the game. At this stage, uh, we go on to picking our God or Goddess of the Week. It's been an unbelievable week, uh, Owen. Who's your God or Goddess?
4: Well, it's, it's slightly strange that I saw um, uh, Marcus Smith and Dan Robson playing yesterday, and I'm going to choose neither of them. Maybe not strange at all. My God of the Week is, uh, is Kyle Sinclair, who has been, uh, for a long time, one of my very, very favourite players. The, the one thing that I really don't like about Kyle Sinclair is that he won't come out and talk more uh, publicly and and, and to the media because he's such a compelling character. He speaks so well, and and I think he should be the poster boy for what the, the future of rugby should and could be like, and we've just we've just had a snapshot of him this week being denied his uh, place on the on the Lions tour. He didn't he didn't get, um, get didn't get the the vote from Warren Gatland fair enough, but the way he took it with his man of the match performance uh, for Bristol at the weekend and then that extraordinary interview afterwards when he when he basically said I had to be a man and take it on the chin. Uh, I thought was, was was just wonderful. It's been replayed uh, a million and one times over Twitter. If you haven't seen it then um uh, then it, it ain't hard to find. So, uh, so Carl Sinclair for me.
1: Very
2: powerful there, uh, uh, Lawrence. Not a million miles away from from Owen. Actually, I mean, I agree on on Carl Sinclair. I mean, these guys need to be household names and and, and uh, right across the country. And, and the sooner that the press officers of clubs and the union realise that that actually the best people to promote the game are the players. They, they do it wonderfully. But uh, not far away from that, Carl Sinclair. My goddess of the week was the wonderful broadcaster and lady who. Who interviewed him, Sarah Elgin, because I thought she was both, you know, sensitive around uh, around the, the emotion and the feelings, and uh, and and the way she 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 posed the question. So Sarah Elgin is to be is my goddess of the week.
1: Well, two very very strong
3: candidates there, John. Well, if I, I was going to go for Warren Gatland actually because you know, I, I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of Gats. I just, you know, Lawrence obviously played under him and all that sort of stuff. I just think he's a great figurehead for the sport. But I won't do that because he's he's, you know, our he's age. Kiwi. He's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I will. I'm just I'm going to be boring and go for Marcus Smith just because I watched. He used to come. He came down to Isha a few times uh, to train and all that sort of stuff. And everybody when he was 18, you know, was more actually younger than that. And everyone said, God, this guy is so good. And you could just see he had so much time on the ball. It was just staggering. And yesterday was one of those matches when you thought it is like the oldest cliche about whether it's a tennis player, a, a cricketer, just time. Just that extra nanosecond where everything opens up in front of them that other players don't have that peripheral vision, that understanding of the game. And I thought there were half a dozen moments in the match yesterday where you thought, goodness me, this guy is so good.
1: Okay. Well, despite my doubts about uh, certain aspects of the game yesterday, I'm going to go with Dan Robson. I feel so sorry for the guy. I feel he's been treated abysmally, but to come out in in probably the, the the not the latter stages of his of his career, but certainly the second half, play so well at the end of the season, such electricity of mind and thought. I thought I thought he was fantastic. So. I think possibly what we could do is go with four joint, joint winners of the God or Goddess of the Week, this time four people who serve the game brilliantly in uh, so many ways. So thanks a million to to, uh, to, to Lawrence uh, and to Owen, and especially to you, John. Um, it's great to see you. I'm sure you'll, you'll be back uh, if we can afford you. And just on the final note about the way the game's going and scrummaging, uh, I will be taking the scrummaging session for the maids, Maidenhead Iron Maidens on Thursday night we will be doing two hours of full on scrummaging we will be practising resetting the scrums we will be bringing in the dark arts and we will be slowing the game down and we will be having a ball thank you that was the ruck
3: if you did do that on Thursday you'd actually be contravening the rules of the game because you can't have scrums until <laughs> next week i <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige
1: DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.